0: You can't really make strides forward until you start telling yourself that maybe this makes you stronger or um, maybe you wouldn't be the person you are. Like now looking back, uh, I think it's almost 13 years of having diabetes. I don't think I would be physically where I am or mentally where I am if it wasn't for being diagnosed. So I guess I kind of, in a weird roundabout way, appreciate the fact that I got it.
1: This is episode number 46 on Training with Type 1 Diabetes with Brendan Snyder. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, medical student and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I sit down with Brendan Snyder, who has grown up as an athlete with type 1 diabetes and is now training for CrossFit competition while working as a pediatric nurse. Brendan received his BSN from Keene State College, where he was also the captain of his rugby team. Brendan began his CrossFit journey in Saratoga Spring, New York, and he currently resides in Memphis, Tennessee, where he works as a nurse on the medical specialty unit at Le Bonheur Children's Hospital, and he trains at CrossFit Hit and Run. In this episode, we talk about everything from growing up as a teenager and the challenges of training with type 1 diabetes, to how Brendan uses his own experience to connect with his pediatric patients, and his current goal of qualifying to the CrossFit Games regionals. Before we get started, I have a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a 5-star rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share, just like Brendan's. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. If you're interested in training with me, check out my program through Beyond the Whiteboard. This is the actual training that I do now, five days per week, one hour per day, scheduled out for you minute by minute from warm-up to cool-down. For more info or to try the programs out yourself, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com forward slash We're also currently running a free trial through February 12th, so if you're interested in that, please make sure you sign up at www.healthyselfreset.com, and you'll get a link to register in your inbox. Finally, please remember that although I'm nearing graduation from medical school, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started here with episode number 46 of Pursuing Health, featuring Brendan Snyder. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm here with Brendan Snyder, who's going to talk to us about his experience with type 1 diabetes. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. So maybe you can just start with a little bit of background. I know when people hear diabetes, obviously type 2 is much more prevalent. Um, But maybe you can tell us a little bit about what type 1 is and how it's different from type 2.
0: Um, So typically type 1 is created from usually a kid um, it tends to be under 18 but that being said there's you know people who get it later on in life um, but i was diagnosed when i was 11 um, and they think what happened was i had a dormant cell in my body that was mutated um, and then i got strep throat and six months later i was diagnosed uh, with type okay. a.
2: Um,
0: they don't know for a fact they haven't really figured out exactly what the cause is but mm-hmm. They think it tends to be this mutated cell that's awoken somehow by something, a virus or something along those lines.
1: Okay. But a type of autoimmune disease?
0: Correct. Um, So a type of autoimmune disease that attacks uh, the pancreas, um, which produces insulin, and so your blood sugar regulation goes completely out the window.
1: Mm -hmm. So we'll get to hear all about what it is like um, but maybe you can start with that story of when you were 11, what was it like when you were first diagnosed?
0: Um, so we were on a family ski trip from, so I grew up in upstate New York, okay. uh, Saratoga Springs. Um, we went on a family ski trip with a bunch of other families. Um, the trip up, there was kind of some precursor signs beforehand, but I was a typical 11 year old. So my parents, you know, I was at school or I was playing sports or I was doing something. So mm-hmm. I wasn't home a ton. And then we went on this family trip and typically we would go on long car rides and we'd go to the bathroom twice in this, you know, 10 hour trips or whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. And I was having to go like every hour or oh. every hour and a half.
2: Okay. And
0: so my parents after the fact told me that they thought maybe that was a little weird. Um, but we get up to Canada, mm-hmm. it's like four different families, a bunch of kids my age Um, And then my sister and my brother's age. um, Mm -hmm. So we're running around in typical vacation. Like we eat kind of whatever we want. We were drinking soda and drinking juice and stuff, which is Mm -hmm. the worst thing that I could have had (laughs) at that point. Um, And then one night, my family friend, who was actually my pediatrician at the time.
1: Oh, that's uh, convenient. (laughs) Yeah,
0: happened to be with us. And my parents went to him and they said, you know, we think something's weird. He looks like he's lost weight. Um, he's going to the bathroom constantly, mm-hmm. uh, and so they told them, "You need to bring him to hospital right now." Um, so I went to a primarily French-speaking hospital in Montreal. Okay. Um, so, as an 11-year-old, you're not in the right mind state because your blood sugar is through the roof. Um, mine was like 12:30, I think, was the blood test. Wow. And. So I didn't really know what was going on, and then all the nurses and doctors were speaking French around me, and they were speaking English to my parents, but when they were actually in the room talking to each other about what was going on, it was in French.
1: Wow, so, that has to be really scary.
0: Yeah, it was uh, definitely something that'll stay with me, um, but also a unique story, I guess, if you got to look at the positive side.
1: Sure, sure. So then I guess eventually you get back home. What is it like with this, you know, from your understanding, obviously as an 11 year old, what were you thinking?
0: Um, so we, at that point, um, my parents went back, packed everything up, um, they stabilized me, so rehydrated me, gave me some insulin, mm-hmm. and then sent me back um, and were told, you know, stop at home, get a bag, and then go to the children's hospital that was closest to my house. Okay. Um, so we went back, um, the people at the border were a little confused because we had said we were going for a week <laughs> and two days later we were coming back through with two less people because my siblings stayed with the other family. Oh, okay. Um, so we get, <laughs> we get back, um, across the border, stop at home. I'm still very confused on what's going on. Um, get checked into the other hospital, the children's hospital, um, and they confirm, so like anywhere, if you switch hospitals, they want to confirm what was decided was decided. Um, So they confirmed, they came in, and they kind of explained it to my parents in more of a a broad spectrum. I understood a little bit of it. Like, I understood that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. That's why I wasn't feeling good. Um, And then they actually had a diabetes educator and my endocrinologist who I had until I was 17. Um, they came in and they did an amazing job of kind of explaining to me in basic terms, you know, this part of your body, your pancreas doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to give you insulin. And at that point they explained, you know, insulin just as a medicine, because mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really need to know at 11 exactly what insulin did. I right. did need to know when you eat, you have to take this okay. and when you wake up you have to take this. So I knew it was a little hard to get here. You know, you're going to be getting a shot every time you want to eat. Or when you wake up, you have to do this. And at that point, it was somewhat early on. So they had everyone, like my plan was like, for school, I had to wake up at 7 a.m. So that meant on the weekends, I had to wake up at 7 a.m.
1: Oh, man.
0: (laughs) And, And my parents, you know, they were nervous. They had never... Neither have medical background. My dad's a lawyer and my mom uh, does like bookkeeping and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So they listened to what the doctor said to a Mm T. So I ate the same breakfast. It was 75 carbs for breakfast, 75 for lunch, 75 for dinner. Okay. Um, Took the same doses of insulin. And I think I ate, it was Eggo waffles, kick cereal, and like a quarter cup of apple juice.
1: Oh, wow. every morning,
0: like eight <laughs> months. Um, oh
1: my goodness.
0: But at the because we followed it so well, right. um, I started researching insulin pumps. And this is kind of early on in the insulin pump days, mm-hmm. but I went to my doctor one appointment and I had printed off like a book of information <laughs> about uh, insulin pumps.
2: Mm-hmm. And I said, I
0: want one of these. And so because I had done the research and they saw that, kind of we had the hang of it as a family. Mm -hmm. Um, They let me get an insulin pump, so after, I think it was nine and a half months, I got put on a pump.
1: Okay, so that's pretty early on. What was it like then, kind of growing up as an adolescent, as a teenager? What kind of challenges did you have?
0: I would say it was, I wouldn't say easy, but it was the first two years were somewhat easier because. I stayed in a routine because it wasn't that long a period of time. It seemed like to me, like, oh, maybe I'll grow out of this, kind of that Mm
2: -hmm.
0: as a a kid you try to rationalize what's going on. And so I I definitely had some of that. And then middle school things got tough for a little while, Um, like any teenager. um, Being a teenager is hard, and you don't want to do what your parents say. (laughs) So I went through, and it seems to be like this, Classic thing that teenagers do with mm-hmm. diabetes is you know you tell your parents you're testing, but if you're supposed to be testing five times a day, you're testing two or three. Uh uh-huh. um, Because even though it takes two seconds to do, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Right. Uh, and then my A1C, which is your average blood sugar over the course of like three months, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, my A1C shot up, and it was like a twelve point okay. eight or something. And, you know, my parents give me this look. I remember sitting in the doctor's <laughs> office other day of, like, wait a second. Like, you told us what it was. We wrote them all down. It doesn't make sense.
2: Uh, uh,
0: so after that point, I think it was, like, eight, middle and eighth grade, um, maybe freshman year of high school,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I just kind of snapped out of it. It was, like, a weird – I realized I didn't feel good all the time. But when I was doing what I was supposed to, mm-hmm. things were quicker because I wasn't having to backtrack and I wasn't in damage control all the time. I was okay. just doing what I needed to do, and I felt good. Um, but that being said, there were times where my blood sugar would be super low because, you know, you're out playing. We played a lot of football in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up with 13 kids my age, so oh, wow. <laughs> we would always be playing tag or. You know all those kind of yard games and you don't want to be like, oh, I got to go inside to go get juice. Um, So I'd ride my bike home. I think I crashed my bike a couple times going home. Oh, my. Um, (laughs) And and I'd walk inside and my parents would instantly know what was going on because I wasn't making sense. Oh, gosh. I was kind of stumbling around. Um, But then I got to, like, a little more comfortable with it and my friends also got really comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So... It became like, oh, I need a juice. And they'd be like, yeah, go get a juice and then come back. Like, it wasn't.
1: It became more normal.
0: Exactly. And it seems like such an issue in a middle schooler's head when it actually isn't as big of a deal Mm -hmm. to go take care of yourself.
1: Right. That hindsight or that maturity. Yeah. (laughs) So true looking back. But I could understand that being in middle school and just being like, well, I want to keep playing. (laughs) Exactly. Very true. And then you went on and you were actually really active in college, right? Playing rugby. So Correct. what was that like?
0: Um, so I played, it would have been my freshman year, second semester of college. Okay. Um, started playing rugby. Had never played before, but looked like fun. Um, had always kind of had a competitive itch.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So joined the team. Um, my coach was aware of what was going on. My teammates were very aware of what was going on which was awesome um but with that i had to get used to you know this is where my number needs to be Mm -hmm. before i go to practice so i knew monday wednesday and friday there was a lot of running and tuesday and thursday was a little less running more strength oriented whether it was tackle practice or something like that Mm -hmm. Uh, so i knew monday wednesday and friday i had to be around 200 which is technically high, but I was going to be on the field for two hours, so
2: um,
0: that helped prevent some of that bottoming out that could take place. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then Tuesday and Thursday, I knew I wanted to be around like 150 or 160. Um, But that took, I want to say about six months to really figure out and see exactly where my number needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, No matter who you talk to or what you look up, everyone's slightly different. Mm So if there, there wasn't another kid with diabetes on my team, but if there was, he might have to be 180 on running days and uh, 130 on physical days. So it's just kind of a a feeling yourself out and understanding that.
1: Okay. So a lot, so you kind of get to know your body really well. You're getting a lot of feedback from how you're feeling, but also you're checking your blood sugars really frequently. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah.
0: And since back then, um, I wanted to limit, you know, how many things I had stuck to my body because mm-hmm. playing a really physical sport, um, it was almost guaranteed that it was, whatever was on me would probably come off. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, continuous glucose monitors and things like that uh, didn't really work because I might have it on for 20 minutes of practice, but then I'd get tackled and it mm-hmm. would come off. So,
1: right.
0: it was more of a two hours leading up to practice, I needed to know where I was, Okay. Um, whether I was in class. So that was the other kind of added stressor in my life was I was in nursing school. So it was, you know, class before practice, go to mm-hmm. practice, eat really quick, go to class again. <laughs> and so you're going from mental you know, stress to physical stress back right. to mental stress. Uh, right. Monitor myself down after practice
1: wow and so that's obviously not it's, it's challenging what you did and you have to um, you didn't have to make that decision to play a sport even as, play a sport as physical as, uh, as rugby let alone do anything physical obviously it makes it more challenging to monitor but why did you decide to do that or why do you think it was important for you
0: I think it probably stems back to um, when I was younger, I had gone to like a diabetes camp for mm-hmm. kids okay. and you know, you meet people who play football or, you know, we're playing soccer in college, like all our counselors were in college.
2: okay.
0: Um, and so you see them you're like, all right, maybe I don't have to be afraid to go do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it actually like became my time to get, get there, Um, you don't, no matter what you have, like, I seem to notice this with anyone with a disease or a condition that would technically be considered like preventing them. Mm Uh, you get this mental side of you that's like, I'm not going to let this, I'm going to figure this out. And, Mm -hmm. um, if I want to do this, I can make it happen. Um, I just have to work harder than everyone else out there. Um. and I think that's kind of been where life has been is just I might have to work a little bit harder, but that might make me just a little bit better because, you know, you have to take an extra step. So you appreciate getting there.
1: So true. So true. That's amazing. And then you kept going even further because then you found CrossFit, correct? when While correct. you were still in college?
2: Yes.
0: Um, so I was using CrossFit as kind of a, a cross-training for rugby because it's they're parallel in the fact that you have to be able to have an endurance side but also add strength in mm-hmm. there
2: mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I did the typical like bodybuilding thing for a little while I wasn't actually a bodybuilder but mm-hmm. you know
2: all those five tries
0: right. and, <laughs> and stuff that all college kids like um <laughs> and I was bored because I didn't, like, oh, I'm going to do one set of this and then I'm going to go stand around for a little bit. Right. Uh, and I've always kind of been, I wouldn't say high strung, but I'm not very good at sitting down.
1: <laughs> um, you like to be busy moving. Yeah,
0: and most people that know me would agree that <laughs> I just, once I get up in the morning, I like to just go yeah. and, and do things and see things. And so I saw some a couple of people wearing shirts, like, just out and about like the old school, just CrossFit logo yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. And went on the main page, didn't really understand it because it looked like this tiny, like it would be. I remember the first day I went on there it was like deadlift two dash two dash two. Right. Dash. <laughs> was, what are all these dashes? And what do like? Do I just do ten deadlifts and then I'm done for the day? Like what? Uh, <laughs> And so I did a little more research. I read a little bit of the journal entries Mm -hmm. um, and was like, all right, I just kind of see what's going on. And I would say the first year that I was doing it, I was probably doing it horribly incorrect. (laughs) Um, And it was things like, I think the first Metcon I ever did was like 10 pull-ups, 10 cleans, and I want to say like 10 push-ups or something. It was really simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like, 20 minute AMRAP or something along those lines and I tried to do strict pull-ups and so you start going and 10 minutes in you can get half a pull-up and you're like (laughs) I don't understand what's going on like why why is my body not working it shouldn't be that hard like it's three movements Um, and I think that's where I got that drive was as I started to understand the training more, I started to see that you could compete in it. And then I started to get better on the rugby field because I was able to have strength and endurance mixed mm-hmm. into one. Um, so I think that's where, like, my senior year of uh, college was when I really started to understand and I watched enough YouTube videos mm-hmm. and. Watched the games and was like, oh, okay, now I understand how this is supposed to be.
1: Okay. That's really cool. And then you continue, and that whole time you're just doing it on your own, you're not even at an affiliate, correct?
0: Correct. So I, my first affiliate was my senior year. There were just five of us. We had, like, started a club at the school. Okay. Uh, just because there were five of us, and we were like, well, they'll sponsor clubs. Like yeah. the school. Clubs, try and see... And then we were all like, all right, let's all do the open. And we filmed the first two weeks or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And we got kind of annoyed having to film everything and show all the <laughs> way. And so we found an affiliate um, in Keene, New Hampshire, which is where I went to school. Okay. Um, and asked them if we could come do the open workout. And they said, yeah. So we went in and just kind of seeing That's for the first time I saw like that community aspect and just, people supporting each other through mm-hmm. the workout. We all the, all five of us like improve drastically. Once you have someone in your ear while you're doing it, not just your friends sitting on the side, eating dinner while you're working <laughs> out or whatever.
1: Right. Right. So. It's so amazing. I think I sometimes take that for granted because I started at an affiliate. So I never had that experience really of doing it in the garage or doing it on my own. And so I've always known about the community. And I think, you know, that's one of my favorite parts about CrossFit. So it, I think it would be really interesting to go from that experience, doing it on your own into an affiliate, and then just really to see what an impact it can make.
0: Yeah, and then I kind of bounced a little bit. So we went there a few times, and then when I was home on Christmas break, mm-hmm. um, I went to an affiliate at home, and they had even a different community from that. They did more. They had, like, powerlifters that worked out there. and mm-hmm. It was just a lot mixed into one, but they taught a lot of that. You know, I could be doing this program, and this guy could be doing this program, but you can both support each other through whatever it is mm-hmm. that it. Um, and then, let's see, it would have been a year and a half ago. I moved to Memphis, so
2: okay. my
0: first uh, first time on my own. First, as I said, like adult job, right? Uh, and my priority was, all right, I need to find a gym here and become a member Mm -hmm. and get that full experience in one place.
1: That's awesome. And what has that been like?
0: Um, So I joined CrossFit Hit and Run in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And it's been the difference between even a year ago and now um, is huge, both physical and just, I met, I moved to the city, I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. and I met all pretty much all my friends through that. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: we hang out outside of the gym, and we don't always talk about working out. I mean, it tends to be a lot of it, but <laughs> right. we also we also talk about other things. And right. people just people like to help each other mm-hmm. if they're part of a common group, and that was what took place.
1: That's amazing. So to, can you talk a little bit too about your job? So you're working as a nurse and you're doing, are you working with kids with diabetes still?
0: Correct, so I work um, at Le Children's Hospital Mm -hmm. um, and I'm on, we call it like the 12th floor because we basically get everything, but our major parts are we get transplant kids, um, but we also get endocrine, uh, liver, kidneys, And a few, a lot of that stuff that doesn't necessarily fit on a specific floor.
1: Okay. So you get a little bit of everything.
0: A little bit of everything, but it's kids age um, like one month up to 18. Okay. And I knew, I've always known I wanted to work with kids. It was just a matter of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think in combination with my diabetes diagnosis, but also... Um, CrossFit kind of gave me this interest in health and Mm -hmm. nutrition Mm -hmm. and um, just like wanting to spread that to people and learn as much as I could about it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So that was what I was like, all right, I'm going to go to this floor. I'm going to work with kids with diabetes, Mm -hmm. uh, but also kids with other issues that might be diet related or things like that. So um, I knew I could kind of put my two cents in because there's a lot you learn from your doctors and the nurses you work with, that helps and it's very, usually very medical. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of real life situations that only someone with the disease will know because they've been there and they've had that happen.
2: Right.
0: Uh, And so I said, if I've had to go through all this, I might as well help people with my story Mm -hmm. to maybe make that event a little bit easier or them know you know, I can I can do more than just take care of my diabetes. Like, I can play a sport, I can uh, be a nurse if they want, or they can be anything. I mean, it. Right. it doesn't have to be constantly medical. It can be very much, it can play into every part of your
2: life.
1: Sure, that's so amazing. And I bet you it means so much more, and they listen to you so much more knowing that you've been there and you know you can understand what they're going through.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: That's so cool. So what, as you've gone along this journey, what kind of changes have you made in your diet or in the different things that you're eating back from the kicks and the cereal <laughs> and things that you used to
0: eat? <laughs> um, so when I was middle school, high school, I ate like a middle school and high schooler. Okay. Um, that was the beauty of having an insulin pump was I could still be a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my parents were very much like dinner was a vegetable, a meat, and some kind of rice or grain of some kind, some Mm -hmm, kind of carb. mm -hmm. Um, So that helped. I mean, because that was, I knew growing up what a balanced meal looked like. Mm -hmm. But that being said... Which is
1: surprising how many kids today don't get that. So that's still
0: Exactly. And that's kind of become recently one of my kind of projects I'm trying to mm-hmm. cook up in my head is maybe how how do you teach kids to eat correctly or at least know how to eat correctly mm-hmm. because they're not the ones buying the food. They're not the ones cooking the food. Right. But if, you know, a mom puts a plate of, let's say, fried chicken and french fries down in front of their kid, which is fine for kids to eat sometimes. Like, a kid's got to be a kid, but maybe they're going to say, oh, mom, can we get some broccoli or, like, can right. we at least help balance some of that out. Um, and that's hard to do because kids don't like to eat vegetables, but. right,
1: Especially so when they important. get so much stuff that tastes good put in front of them, it's hard, you know.
0: Yeah, it's hard to make that stuff taste good. Right. And so I would say my transition was middle school, high school, um, about my junior year of high school, I I wouldn't say I was like overweight, but I definitely was like, fairly unathletic, like Mm -hmm. bigger kid. Um, and I decided just one day randomly, I was like, all right, I want to do something physical. Like, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I want to do something physical. So Mm -hmm. I started with the like classic P90X and insanity kind of route because they were easy and I didn't have to go to a gym. Um, and I felt good when I was done Mm hmm. And so my, by the end of high school, my freshman year of college, I'd gotten, like, I was skinny. I wasn't, like, muscular at all. I Mm -hmm. wasn't, but it was just, I would look healthy. Um, I never got, like, outrageously skinny. Mm -hmm. uh, But that was pretty much based off of cleaning out some of the bad food, um, like a lot of the snacks and things Mm -hmm. like that. I was big into, I just loved to snack on stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did it subconsciously. I would just automatically like, oh, I'm driving somewhere, I'm going to grab a granola bar or whatever was in the...
2: Right.
0: Um, and so I cut some of that out, and my blood sugar started to level out, so it made my diabetes easier to uh, care for, because all of a sudden I'm not having these huge spikes.
2: Mm-hmm. In
0: my, it was like, I knew I'm going to take my insulin when I eat breakfast, and that'll last me until I eat a snack at 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. which will last me until I eat lunch, and then, so I did kind of the classic breakfast snack lunch snack dinner Um, and then depending where my number was sometimes Mm -hmm. I'd have to eat before bed
1: okay and Um, how much weight did you lose when you were making those changes
0: so my biggest I was at like 211 pounds I think and Mm -hmm. I'm five eight five nine Um, I like to tell people I'm five nine but it's probably (laughs) Uh, and so 210 is like it's not it's not big but it's not it wasn't an athletic 210 is what I should say. Okay. Um, and so I dropped down to 182. Wow.
1: That's a big my, change in, for high school. high school. Yeah, That's great. And
0: I think the biggest thing was I was doing physical things, but I wasn't necessarily every day focused on one thing. And mm-hmm.
2: then
0: when you start to exercise, it's this weird pattern I feel that you start to eat better mm-hmm. subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was like this, oh, I don't want to waste this exercise I did, so I'm going to eat better. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of what happened. So it all just kind of fell into place.
1: Right, and you just recognize that what you're putting in your body is fueling what you're able to do physically, and so you want to be able to put good fuel in. I think it definitely makes you think more about what you're eating.
0: Yeah, and then college came around, um, and I would say... My cafeteria at school was pretty good mm-hmm. um They had you know a big salad bar with tons of like extra vegetables you put in there and it was always good quality stuff mm-hmm. um, and they had like a stir fry bar, so I ate a lot of stir fry because I was able to get mm-hmm. just like chicken and vegetables and rice, and it was easy and it was fast, yeah. Uh, And I didn't have to. You could put sauce on or you didn't have to, which Mm -hmm. it tends to be those sauces that get people. Right. uh, And so I was able to kind of have a balanced diet in college. And my friends kind of always referred to me as the kid that ate healthy. Like I was was that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But part of it was it helped with the diabetes because then I could go, you know, be a college kid with my friends. And that's like the... Unspoken thing. I feel like everyone's afraid to kind of talk about drinking and diabetes, and mm-hmm. but the reality of the situation is, if you, when you go to college, um, and we'll say for interest in the story, I was 21 mm-hmm. in all these occasions, <laughs> um, but it, uh, you need to know like what's going to happen to your body, right? And alcohol does a very weird thing where it raises your blood sugar on its own, and then it lowers it on its own. Mm. So a lot of kids with diabetes end up in this issue of they might test their blood sugar after they've had a couple drinks and mm-hmm. it'll be you know, 300 and they'll be like, oh, I got to load myself with insulin
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then it comes down on its own and then the insulin hits and you drop way down. Wow. Wow. Uh, and you're not in like a mental space that you necessarily would know exactly what was going on. So mm-hmm. it can get you in trouble. Um, wow, so that's it was, interesting. It was just a matter of, I feel like there's a lot of pieces of my life that have been like an experiment. Mm -hmm. Like there's not necessarily books and things written on how to live the (laughs) the deep gritty of your life with diabetes.
1: Right. Well, it sounds like you figured it out pretty well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's gotten a little better. There's some cool like Instagram pages that people have now that Mm -hmm. are, you know, 18 to 25 and they post about like Mm -hmm. the things that are going on, which I wish. I had had that when I was growing up, but mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that maybe I can help be part of that for some other people. Sure, that's um, awesome. And, and then...
1: Oh, keep going.
0: Um, recently, um, so I started kind of a more competitive route with CrossFit now, mm-hmm. um, and so I got on Misfit Program, which is, fair, for people who don't know, it's a fairly competitive Longer workouts, harder mm-hmm. workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also started doing the macro count, like my mac counting my macros. Um, okay. Seemed to be a better route. I did the paleo ish thing for a while. Um, but, you know, I felt bad when I would eat carbs because, you know, the way it's written, you're not supposed to eat as many like simple carbs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's, most places you look, that's kind of how it's written. Um, and, you need those simple carbs when you have diabetes because Mm -hmm. you don't really have an option when your blood sugar is going down. You need something that's going to digest fast. Right. Um, So when I started counting my macros, I was like, all right, I'm going to give myself, you know, 200 grams of carbs a day because that's what this website said. And that didn't go so well. I was like, my blood sugar was low all the time. I was like teetering around 80... On a normal basis, and then I would drop the second I tried to start doing anything physical,
2: wow
0: um, so I was kind of living off juice boxes, which and basically is medicinal for a diabetic is you always have to have a juice box with you
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so I was like all right that 's not working. what should I what should be my approach next um, and I actually had kind of a scare because I was supposed to be at work and I hadn't been late to work ever. I hadn't missed a work shift. Um, And all of a sudden I had like kind of woken up and I had like 12 missed calls on my phone and tons of texts from people that Mm -hmm. I worked with um, and another one of my friends who I don't work with and I had slept, so I worked Mm night. and I was at work at like 6, I think it was like 6.20, yeah. 620 to 640 is what kind of like when we're supposed to get there mm-hmm. uh, and it was like 830 oh wow um, and I had gone to sleep at like 5 a.m. wow and I didn't know where I was I couldn't like I was having trouble figuring it out mm-hmm. and I heard people knocking on my door and I somehow like while I just assumed I was low and I started drinking juice boxes and I went to the door, and I was really confused because it was a friend of mine, who I don't work with. Mm-hmm. But then it was like six people I work with
2: wow. behind. Wow.
0: Um, and normally, for the most part, like my girlfriend's on top of my numbers, mm-hmm. uh, not in the sense that she always wants to know what they are, but she, if I'm not, she knows I wake up at like three fifteen to train. Mm-hmm. And I'm home at 5.30 before work and I eat and I go to work. Right. And she happened to be out in the country um, on a trip. And so our times were all mixed up. Uh-huh. And so it was just me. And so I live alone in an apartment
2: mm-hmm.
0: with, with my cat. So she's not going to help.
2: <laughs>
0: um, and so they came to my door and I barely really remember talking to them but I guess I was just completely out of it but at that point I had drank like five juice boxes Um, it just takes a little time for Mm -hmm. you to get back and for that glucose to get to your brain Mm -hmm. Um, so after that point I was like all right I need to switch this up I need to figure something out Um, I have a pretty good understanding of nutrition but Mm -hmm. maybe not how to get these numbers down yet Mm -hmm. so at that point I made the decision to get a nutrition coach um, because then it would be someone else who understood from the outside Um, and I'm more likely to listen to someone when they say you're gonna eat 350 carbs on your training day Mm -hmm. I'm gonna trust what she has to say Um, and it's Kristen Pope who's a Olympic weightlifter who does my nutrition coaching
1: oh that's awesome
0: and so she she understands what it's like to train hard mm-hmm. and um, when you need those carbs. And so she's given me that confidence in the numbers, and my numbers have definitely stabled out a lot um, since she started doing it for me.
1: Wow. That's awesome. I think, I mean, that's really scary, but it's yeah. it's amazing the support that you have around you and all the people from work and people you know, knowing, okay, if something's up, we better go check it out and being there for you. So that's really amazing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And my, I still don't know how they got to my apartment because you have to like get through a gate and then get through a door and then get through another door. Um, but they were determined enough to find out what was going on. And the people in my gym are the same way that if I'm not, they know I'm at the gym at three 20 every day. Um, And if, you know, 3.45 rolls around and if I'm having a rest day or whatever, I'll get three texts on my phone like, Mm -hmm. where are you or what are you doing? And 99% of the time it's, oh, I'm resting today or I went and did yoga today or something like that. Um, But I know that day that it's like I don't answer the phone. They'll make sure someone goes and checks on me or... um, they call someone close to me who can, mm-hmm. who knows how to get to what's mm-hmm. going on.
1: That's amazing. Well, glad you uh, are okay. And I'm glad you found a good nutrition coach. I think it always helps to have someone, no matter what area of your life it is, it always helps to have someone who's a little bit more objective and who can be there to kind of give you a fresh set of eyes or a fresh perspective. So that's great.
0: Yeah. She, uh, she's definitely kind of come through on that aspect.
1: That's awesome. And now you are training. What is your goal for training and for CrossFit right now?
0: Um, I think my eventual goal would be to get to regionals. Um, I don't, I mean, from a honest opinion, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, there's just so much that has gone on in my life and moving Mm -hmm. to a new place and everything. Um, but I'm also now being on this new program, um, that is very specific to getting to regionals. Mm-hmm. I've noticed uh, my level of fitness and strength has gone up considerably, and my numbers um, on like our benchmark test workouts
2: mm-hmm.
0: have been dropping. Um,
2: so
1: awesome.
0: it's working, um, but like anything, when you're trying to do that, it's kind of a slow process. Yes, um,
1: and you haven't—you really haven't been doing CrossFit for that long, and re- you know.
0: Yeah. So, and so hopefully, there's plenty of
1: time. <laughs> yeah,
0: hopefully this year I can climb the leaderboard mm-hmm. and see where I'm at and then also find some of those weaknesses that I need to work on. So if it's, I would say, a true goal that I think is like an honest goal would be probably top 500 in the Open um, for the Central East. So mm-hmm. anyone who knows the Central East knows it's uh,
1: Challenging. A, a pretty good,
0: <laughs> to get in the 500 so I thought that was like a good benchmark if I can get there this year then I can make it the next step next year
1: that's awesome and why what motivates you why do you want to go to regionals
0: um I think it's the part of it's that pushing yourself like if you're in a sport you want to be the best mm-hmm. and that's kind of the be- that's the step to being you know the best like mm-hmm. any crossfitter it would be great to stand on top of the podium. Not everyone can do that, um, and I'm not necessarily like, saying I'll ever do that, but you have to know in your head that that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, to go to regionals, you, you have to have this well-rounded sort of ability to be mentally strong, physically strong, um, And that might show people kind of bring some light onto type one diabetes. And there's a lot of research and publicity out there about type two because Mm -hmm. more people are affected, Mm -hmm. Uh, which makes sense that they would get more publicity. But as someone with type one who every moment of my life, awake or asleep is affected by it, Mm -hmm. I tend to be a little selfish towards like I want all the money to go to type one research. <laughs> I want type one to get cured. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's like like anyone with with any disease or any problem. It's you have to be selfish about certain things in your life to make your life better. Um, and you know that kind of thought process of all right, I'm going to show people with type one that they can be as normal as they want to be, or they can be even better at life than people who don't have diabetes necessarily. Mm -hmm. And it's easy when you have type one to kind of say to yourself, like, Oh, I'm not as good as these people or I didn't do this well because I have this. Um, Mm -hmm. and you don't, you can't really make strides forward until you start telling yourself that maybe this makes you stronger or, um, maybe you wouldn't be the person you are like now looking back, uh, I think it's almost 13 years of having diabetes. I don't think I would be physically where I am or mentally where I am if it wasn't for being diagnosed. So I guess I kind of, in a weird roundabout way, appreciate the fact that I got it.
1: That's amazing. I think it, it gives you, it sounds like you have great perspective on it. And I think, you know, because you have that unique experience, it's true. You're in a really unique position to share that experience and be that inspiration for other people or for young kids who are first diagnosed to be able to see that, hey, you can do whatever you want. You know, this isn't something that has to hold you back. So I love that. Let's finish up with the three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So first one is three things you do on a regular basis that you think have the biggest positive impact on your health.
0: I would say number one would be regular physical activity, or in my case, training. Um, number two would be an understanding of my body and kind of doing your own, my own science experiments on my body every day um, to see how things affect it. I love and that because
1: everyone can take something from that, you know, no matter what, if you have diabetes or not, I think everyone can experiment on their own body and figure out what's optimal.
0: Yeah, and everyone's different and how you react to things is different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I would say the third thing I do is to have people around me who understand what's going on and um, I support them as much as they support me.
1: I love that, those are awesome. One thing that you think would have an impact, a positive impact, but you have a hard time implementing it?
0: Um, the biggest thing I would say there is probably sleep, um, and then to go along with that, like slowing down. Mm. Um, I work nights, so it's a lot of, I sleep during the day someday, and I sleep during the night sometimes. Yeah. Um, but then with the slowing down, it's I have that personality where I need to constantly be moving. Um, and I wish sometimes I just let myself like sit there for an hour. <laughs> and I've got I've gotten better at it, but I've got a long way to go. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's good. That's good. Last question is: What does a healthy life look like to you?
0: Um, I think a healthy life for me would be um, back to that understanding your body, um, whether you have a disease or not. It's so huge to understand. Uh, how you feel and what it is you're feeling mm-hmm. uh, and also just uh, enjoyment of your life. So I found CrossFit and friends and family that you know make me love what I do and my mm-hmm. job um, and other people have their things that they love to do. But um, I think everyone has something out there that they love to do or want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to find that and pursue that.
1: It's amazing. Perfect. Um, Well, I'm so glad to see that you're doing all those amazing things. And you're using your own experience to help other people in a similar situation. And so I know I'll be rooting for you for sure in the open and for regionals for these next few years. So I know a lot of other people listening will be too. So we wish you the best of luck with everything.
0: Thank you very much. Um, And I hope everyone out there, if you have type 1, feel free to reach out to me. hopefully I can answer anyone's question.
2: They have
1: Awesome. Where can they follow you? I'll put your link to your social media and everything on the post, but is there a place where they can follow you?
0: I would say the best move is probably Instagram. Um, I don't post a whole lot. I'm really bad about that, but, um, I'm pretty good at answering messages. So if anyone has any questions or, um, even if it's someone listening and their kid has diabetes and, you know, you're having problems with that. I've also, from being a nurse, I've seen both sides. So
1: Awesome. Well, we'll put that link in the show notes. So if you want to, you can reach out. So thank Perfect. you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was great to get to know Brendan and hear about his experience and determination to chase his athletic goals with type one diabetes. I also love how he looks at his own challenges as a positive and uses his experience to connect with and help other kids as a nurse. Hopefully we'll see him out on the regionals floor one day inspiring even more people with his story. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website juliefoucher.com, where you can subscribe to my email list. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please email me at info at i I'll choose some of these inspiring stories